0: Well, good morning everybody watching by video this morning, North Attleboro, Easton or Norwood, whatever your campus is, we want to say a very special welcome to you who are here for the first time. Welcome to Waters Church, one church in three locations. And today we are starting a brand new series. We are calling this series, The Game Plan. And we believe that God has a game plan for you. That there's a game plan for your life. What does God want you to become? Where does God want to lead your life? And so this series, for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about God's game plan. God's game plan for you is great. His game plan for you is beyond words. And it really comes down to five very scriptural, biblical things that God wants every single person in the world to experience. And the first one we're talking about today is that God wants you saved. If you're hearing me this morning, I want you to say that word with me. Say, saved. All right, God wants you saved. All right, he wants you, number two, healed. And then after healed, he wants you to be set free. Then number four, he wants you to be equipped or built up. And then number five, and finally, we're going to close out this series with the word empowered. God wants your life to be empowered by the Spirit. And so basically it comes down to this. God wants to undo everything that sin did at the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, um, sin entered the world and caused all kinds of chaos for humanity. And we all know this. We all feel this. And there's something wrong with the world. And there's something wrong with each of us human beings. And that something is sin. And sin has us mixed up. It has us filled with diseases. It has us lost. It has us bound up. And God in his infinite and awesome game plan wants to totally revolutionize and undo everything that sin did in the Garden of Eden. So part one of this series and that's what our message this morning, is that God wants every single one of us saved. God wants you saved. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, if you have a Bible, let's turn there in our smartphone, in our PDA, or in our our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at a scripture that deals with this idea that God wants us saved. You've heard that phrase, haven't you? God wants you to be saved. Or you've heard the phrase, Jesus saves. We've seen it on signs. We've seen it on guys in the street with their billboards or their, 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 cardboard covering saying, you know, escape, Hell, Jesus wants to save you. But have you ever asked yourself, what is the reality of salvation? What does saved mean? Because saved is a big time church word. It's, It's big because it's the first thing that God wants to do in your life and in the world. So what does Jesus saves really mean? I've got three scripture references for you where the word saved Is used. And I want you to take a look at them with me. And Ephesians chapter 2 is the first one. And then I want you just to hold your finger there at Ephesians chapter 2 as I look at two other scriptures where the word saved means. Now, when we look at these scriptures, I want you to notice what the tense of the verse of the word saved is. All right? Ephesians chapter 2, let's look at it. Verse 8. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. uh, It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man, no woman can boast. Okay, that's the first verse. The second verse is 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 1 18. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. Notice the tense. Who are being saved. It is the power of God. And then the, first, and then the last verse, the third verse I want to show you is Mark 16 verse 16. And here's what it says in Mark 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Did you catch the tense of each of those verses? They're all different. The first one, Ephesians chapter 2, says we have been saved. Past tense. The next one, 1 Corinthians 1, says we are being saved. Present tense. The last one says that you will be saved. That's, that's a future reality. So the obvious question is simply this. Which one is it? Have I been saved in the past? Am I being saved now? Or will I be saved in the future? And the answer to that question is this. Yes. Yes to all three. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have accepted Christ into your heart, here's the deal for you. There is a three-part reality to salvation. The first one is when you were saved, when you gave your heart to Jesus in the past. If you've done that, your spirit, your spirit was saved at that moment and you were made right with God. A spiritual transaction took place in which the relationship that was broken by sin has been restored by faith through the grace of God and you were saved. Secondly, it's a present reality. Right now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know and I know that there are a lot of things that are not right with our lives. A lot of times we have issues, sins, habits, thoughts that are out of bounds with God's best for our lives. And the reason why is because we are still in the process of being saved. And we are, th- pe- uh, we are people in three parts, spirit, soul, and body. So our spirits were saved and our soul right now is being saved. What is your soul? Well, the Greek word for soul is the word suke, and is spelled P-S-U-C-H-E. And so that word sounds familiar when you spell it out. It's, it's the word that means the seat of our feelings, the seat of our desires, the seat of our affections, where our, who we really are beneath the skin. Our soul is our suke. our psyche. We get the word psyche from that word. Uh, Our psyche is is who we are inside. We get the word psychology from the Greek word suke, meaning the real you underneath the skin. And now, as a Christ follower, you are in the process of seeing Jesus save your psyche save your soul turn you from a child of sin and darkness and the devil into a child of light goodness and god here's what it says in James chapter 1 verse 21 it says receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your what's the word say it with me which is able to save your souls okay so what does what changes our souls? The word of God. What changes our psyche? The word of God. What changes how we think, how we act, how we react? the word of god. And that is the present reality of salvation that is happening in every single one of us. That's why you need to hear the word of god over and over in your life so that you can be changed into the image of Jesus Christ, God's son. It is a present reality. The third part of salvation is that it is a future reality. You were saved in your spirit when you came to Jesus if you came to Jesus You are being saved in your psyche, in your inner being, in your soul now, and then there is a future reality for every child of God. And the future reality is that you will be saved. Your body will ultimately be saved. Every healing that takes place in our body now, I want you to think about this, is temporary. It's not going to last. No matter what we do with our bodies, our bodies, the Bible says, are destined for the grave. It doesn't matter how much we nip, tuck, liposuck, or stitch up, or work out, or stretch, or get better through medicines and herbs and all that kind of stuff that we try to do to keep our bodies in shape, eventually, nature wins. We are all going to see our bodies decay. Jack LaLanne, the great, the great juicer, just died last year, proves this reality. No matter how fit you are, no matter how well you eat, no matter what you do with your body, your body is going to be dead one day. But in Christ, here's the good news. In Christ, your body will be saved. How? How? at the resurrection of the righteous the bible says our bodies will be resurrected to new life and we will be given a new body an immortal body here's the here's the good part these bodies will never decay they will never grow old they will never die your supernatural resurrected body will be immortal and that is a future reality so every time the scripture is talking about you're going to be saved it's talking about your body Jesus says in Matthew 24 that those who endure to the end even if they kill you you're going to be saved that means that even if they kill this body now someday Jesus is going to come back and he's going to shout and the dead in Christ are going to rise up again to new life and be given a new body that is very good news for all of us and for especially some of us who are ready to trade in this body right now for a new version of ourselves but that's the reality of salvation it's a past event it's a present reality our souls being saved and it's a future reality one day our bodies will be saved but today today in this first part of God's game plan I want to talk about the past reality what happened when you came to Christ by faith. What was the reality of that experience? And I've got seven points. Seven points to give you this morning to teach you what that spiritual experience of salvation that happened in the past is really all about. Seven points. Here's the first one. Number one, to understand salvation. This is so important. You've got to know that salvation is a gift. This is the most important reality about salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's free. Uh, The Bible says, we've we've read it already in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. You don't earn it. You don't achieve it. You don't rise up to some kind of holy level where you're finally accepted by God. It is a gift to the worst of sinners, no matter how good or bad you've been in your life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, not of works, so that no man can boast. Listen, there will be no boasting in heaven. Nobody in heaven is going to boast. No, nobody in heaven is going to walk around with their chest stuck out saying, look at what I did to get here. I prayed seven times a week and I fasted three times a week and I went to church every week and I, and I told everybody I knew about Jesus. No one will be walking around heaven with their chest out because they will have not earned their right to be there. It is a gift from God. Not even Billy Graham is going to earn it. Not even Mother Teresa can earn it. You can not earn it. And I can't earn it. Salvation is a gift. Now some of you need to hear this because you are desperately trying to win God's approval. You're trying to get God to be okay with you. And the reality is you can't on your own good works. Every time I hear somebody say, uh, I ask them, are you a Christian? And they say, well I'm trying. I know they don't understand salvation. Because salvation is not you trying to be a better person. Salvation is you have received the gift that God offers in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Here's how Romans chapter 11 verse 6 says it. Makes a very clear distinction distinction between a gift and earning it, or works. And here's what it says. Uh, Romans 11 verse 6. And if it is by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. In other words, you can't have it both ways. Salvation is a gift of grace, not works. If you are thinking that you're going to get to heaven because you have been a good person, you're wrong. And you're not wrong because I've said so. You're wrong because the Bible says so. You cannot earn your way to get to heaven and to be accepted by God. It is a gift. And the only question that you need to answer is simply this. Have you received the gift of salvation? Have you received that? That's all that you do. You receive Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all who received Him, to all who received Him, not did good enough, not tried hard, not was a good person or a boy scout or a girl scout. To all who received him, to them he gave the right to believe, to become the children of God. They believed, they received, and they became children of God. The first and most important reality of salvation is this. Salvation is a gift of God. Number two. Salvation is eternal life. Salvation Is eternal life. Romans 6.23. It says this. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift. And there's that word again. But the gift of God. Is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. It is eternal life. 1 John 2.25 says this. And this is what he promised us. Even eternal life. 1 John 5.13. Here's it again. I write these things to you who... Believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, not think, not try to attain, not try to achieve, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I got two questions for you about eternal life. Hey, feel free to answer even though I'm on the video screen. The first question is this How long is eternal life? It's forever. It's forever, eternal life. That's not a hard question. Here's a good question though, very important question. When does eternal life start? When does eternal life start? It starts when you die. Now, one last question. When did you die? How many of you are dead? Now this is where we get off base, theologically, in our minds. Okay, because we often think that eternal life starts when our body dies. That's not the reality. That's not what the scriptures teach. The Bible teaches us that if you are in Christ and you have received Christ, I've got news for you. You are already dead. You already died. The moment you received Jesus Christ into your heart, you died to yourself. You died to your dream. You died to your ideas. You died to being in control. And here's what Paul says in Colossians. This is the Bible teaching us now. Colossians 3 verse 2 through 3 says this. Set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things. Why? Look at verse 3. This is so key. For you died. Now he's talking to living and breathing people here. But he's saying the spiritual reality is this. You died spiritually and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean to die spiritually? It means that you give up control of your life and you hand it over to Jesus Christ and you say, God, come live in my house. And one day, one day God is going to say, we have lived long enough in your house, your body, And now I'm going to take it to be in my house, and we're going to live eternally there. And in Christ, death is not the end, death is a transition. It's just like going through a door because you're already dead spiritually to yourself. You're alive by faith in Christ to God. And now death is now a transition, not a conversion. Okay, number three. Number three, salvation is forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is complete release. Forgiveness is complete release from the debt that we owed to God for our sins. Acts 13.38 says this, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The forgiveness of sins. Uh, We need to be forgiven of our sins And the only way we're forgiven of our sins, again, is by grace through faith. And we ask God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. And he does. And and here's the great thing about forgiveness. When God forgives, he really forgives. Let's look at Psalm 103 verse verse, uh, 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. I want you to think about that scripture. It's intentional here. Why does the scripture say, as far as the east is from the west? Why not the north from the south? And I thought about it, and and here's the reality. I want you to think about how cool God's forgiveness is. If you live on planet earth, and all of you do... (laughs) and you decide you're gonna go north on planet Earth you can only go so far north until you eventually start to go south. We reach the North Pole and once we cross that we start to go south. If we head north eventually we're going south. If we head south eventually we're gonna go north again. But with east and west it's different. If you head east there is no point at which when you head east there's no point at which you start to head west. You can just keep going east and you go around the world and you can go around the world 80 million times and you're still going east. What is the scripture trying to teach us? This is how far God removes our sins from us. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've sinned. It doesn't matter what uh, great transgression you have uh, You have you have done in your life the reality of forgiveness in Christ is this as far as the east is from the west and their distance is infinity that's how far God has removed your sins from you I, I don't know about you but I think that deal is pretty good here's what Jeremiah verse 30, uh, chapter 31 verse 34 says It says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Here's how God's forgiveness works. You ask him to forgive you. You accept Jesus into your heart. He forgives you of all your sins. And then he doesn't remember them. So if an angel comes up to God in heaven and says, hey God, why don't you tell me a couple of the sins that Tim Hatch, me by the way, Tim Hatch has committed. God's going to turn to that angel and he's going to say, I can't remember. Can't remember them. He forgives and he puts them out of his mind by faith. By faith in Jesus Christ. I have and you can have or you do have the forgiveness of sins. That's the the wonderful reality about salvation. Stop beating yourself up. If you are in Christ, stop beating yourself up over what you have done. Stop obsessing over your past failures and mistakes. In Christ, you have a new beginning. In Christ, you have a clean slate. In Christ, you have been forgiven of all your sins. They are separated from you, and God refuses to bring them up again. Number four, salvation is justification salvation is justification what is justification justification is being made just now that word just it's a word that we get the word justice from and we have a longing in our society and in our world for justice we want justice to be done but but what is justice in our world we see People getting away with all kinds of crime, even recently people getting away with serious offenses. We've we've seen it on the television and we are seeing people cry out, where is the justice? What is justice? Justice is when the wrongdoer gets punished appropriately for what they did. That's all justice is. Justice is when you or someone else is punished appropriately for what they did. Now here's the truth in Christ, in Christ through faith in Him we have been justified. Justice and this is God's justice now, God's justice has been met in our lives through Jesus Christ. How? Why? What are you talking about? At the cross, at the cross justice was met for you and for me. Okay, at the cross, Jesus paid for our sin. He paid for your sin. Okay, so you're a wrongdoer. I'm a wrongdoer. By faith in Christ... God punishes Jesus at the cross. Why was the cross so brutal? Because Jesus was paying for all of our sins. Why was it so horrible? Because Jesus was paying for the sins of the world. And there's a lot of sin in the world. And so God put on him the sins of the world and punished Jesus for your sins, for my sins. And now because of Jesus I'm justified. Now I, my sins cannot be held against me, because they were already held against Jesus. This is a crazy idea to hear, but it's so essential to understanding salvation. Here's what it says in Romans three twenty four: Having been justified freely by His grace, by the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are justified freely. By his grace. Galatians 2.16 says this. We have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. All the law does, all the rules of the Bible do is just show you everything that you've done wrong. And the reason why it's necessary is so that we turn to God for forgiveness and grace. If we don't know what we're doing wrong, then we'll never turn to God. But by by the Word of God, we understand. We have sinned. We have fallen short. And we need to be justified. And so God put on Jesus 2,000 years ago at the cross all the punishment for your sins. And here's the best part. God is not going to punish you for your sins. This is crazy to hear, but it's the truth. The thief on the cross who had committed all kinds of sins turned to Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. One statement of faith. Remember me. I receive you. You're Jesus. I understand who you are. Remember me. have mercy on me. I need you. And the Bible says Jesus turned to him and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise because I am bearing. He, Jesus was bearing the sins of that thief on the cross and justifying him for all eternity. This, this is why, church, you cannot take for granted the death of Jesus Christ. This is why you got to turn from your sins. As a Christian, you got to keep turning away from sin. And the only way to turn away from sin sometimes is to go back and see what Jesus did at the cross and realize that's how much he had to pay For my sins, I had better take this seriously. And I had better live for him. And turn away from sin. Fifth thing. Salvation is righteousness. Salvation is righteousness. James 2, 23 says this. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, faith. He just believed and he was saved. What is righteousness? Righteousness is being made right with somebody else. Righteousness is being made right with God. Is having a right standing with God. In other words, that you can stand before God and be good to go. How does that happen? Because of Jesus. Jesus lived the righteous life that we could not live. He never sinned. Now when we come to Jesus, we are clothed The Bible says we are clothed in his righteousness by faith. See, the cross was a moment of great exchange. A great exchange was made at the cross of Jesus Christ. Here's the exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. You ever notice that the cross is shaped like this? That it's an intersection. It's, it's an intersection. If you turn it on its side, it becomes an X. At the cross, there was a great exchange. And it wasn't a fair exchange. Jesus lived sinlessly and had the sins of the world put on Him. We lived sinfully and we had this righteousness of Jesus placed on us wasn't a fair exchange for Jesus but it was an exchange nonetheless and the exchange makes us righteous let me say it this way you are totally righteous in Jesus name God has made you righteous through the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ I I, I don't know about you but but that just makes me really excited that that when God sees me He doesn't see my record of sin. He doesn't see what I've done wrong. He doesn't see what I've done mischievously in my life. God sees the righteousness of Jesus in my life. How? Not because I've earned it, my friends. Not because I was a good person. Not because I'm a preacher. But by faith in Jesus' name, I'm saved. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been placed on me. Amen. That was was pretty good. I I hope you're receiving this this morning. Number six. Number six reality about salvation. Salvation is redemption. Now we don't talk a lot about this in the the church, but we need to. Here's what it says in Titus 2.14. Titus 2.14 says this. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us. To redeem us. From all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Eager to do what is good. If you are in Christ, you have been redeemed. Now this idea of redemption is a financial term. Redemption is what happens when someone loses something. And then somebody else buys it back. It's a financial uh, term. It's a financial experience. Now... Why do human beings need to be redeemed? Here's why. Because at the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve lost their true humanity. They lost their rights as children of God. They lost their place in creation. Now the land is cursed. The world is cursed. They are cursed. Humanity is cursed. With sin we have been lost. And now we have been sold. The Bible says we've been sold as a slave to sin. 1 John 3, 8 says this, He who does what is sinful is of the devil. So, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. That's that's very simple. Through sin we've been sold to the devil. The whole world is under the control of the devil. But in Christ, by faith in Christ, he redeems us back to God through faith. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we have been redeemed back to God. And, And here's what happened. Jesus bought us. Jesus paid for us. Here's how it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, do, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have received from God? And here's the words I want you to hear real quick. You are not your own. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore honor God with your body in Christ through his death, burial and resurrection. Every person that comes to him by faith has been redeemed and you are no longer your own. If you're in Christ, you can't say, "Well, it's my life." You can't say it. It's not your life anymore. It's God's life. He has bought you and you belong to him and you are his. And by the way, God always takes care of his own. God protects them, God shields them, God blesses them, God makes them fruitful. He has called you to be His. If you receive Him, He takes you into His family and He refuses to let you go. See, when you first come to Jesus, there's going to be a temptation. And I've seen this a hundred times. I've seen this over and over and over again. There's a temptation to go back to that old life. When you first come to Jesus, there's a temptation to go back to those old, dead, useless practices. And, and if you start to go in that direction, God has a way of just taking you by the scruff of the neck and hauling you back into his house. He's just going to say, I am your Lord and Savior, and you belong to me. And I refuse to let you go back to that old, useless lifestyle. That is good news. You see, this is why we actually call the gospel good news. It's all these things and more. It's forgiveness. It's redemption. It's, for, it's eternal life. It's a gift. It's free. It, it, it's all these things that we've talked about. And, and we've talked about six. And it's such a good deal. The obvious question is this. What's the catch? What's the catch? A, a deal this good has to have a catch. And, and as much as I don't like this term, a catch to the gospel, the reality is there's one last thing you need to know. If if there's a catch to the gospel, if there's a catch to salvation and what happens when you receive Christ is this. Number seven, salvation is total commitment. Salvation is total commitment. You cannot be halfway with Jesus Christ. You cannot be half in and half out. Salvation is total, lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ and His plan for your life. A lot of people in the church, a lot of people in the world want Jesus to be fire insurance. They, they just want to have that insurance policy, you see. Uh, and, and here's what happens. We, we put our hand up or we come down to the altar. We say a prayer and we think, that's it, done. I'm settled. Fine. I'm, I'm eternally saved. I'm eternally secure. I'm good to go. And now i got Jesus. And so now I'm going to go and do what I want. And when I die, I'm, di- I'm going to go to heaven. And that is just not true. Here, here, here's what What Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 verse 34. Listen to this total commitment. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said. And he said this to those who were following him. He said this to those who were already following him. I want you to hear what he says. If anyone would come after me. He must deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow me. What was Jesus saying? He was saying it's total commitment. And, and, and it still needs to be said in the church today. Because here's what I absolutely believe with all of my heart. Hear me. There are many people sitting in the churches of America. You think you're saved, but you're not. You think you've got enough, but you don't. You think that Jesus is Lord, but he is not. Because here, here's, here's how you know. How do you know if you're saved or if you're not? Very simple answer to a very simple question. Who's in charge? Who's in charge of your life? Is Jesus in charge? Or are you? Because here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 22. He said, many will say to me. I, I hate that word, many. He says, many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name and, and in your name um, cast out demons and perform many miracles? And then he says, I'm going to tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. In another passage he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. But only he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. And what is the will of my Father? To believe on Jesus Christ and to trust Him and to give surrender, total control of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This thing, salvation, is total commitment. There, there are, I think there are many preachers who don't realize they have yet to surrender to Jesus Christ I think that there are many church leaders they don't even realize they have yet to give up total control of their life to Jesus Christ salvation is free but it is total commitment I I, I thought about how I could illustrate this I think um, you, you look at the flu shot okay now I want you to think about the flu shot what is the flu shot The flu shot is a little small dose of the flu. It's a small dose of the virus that they inject into your body so that your body gets tricked into thinking it has a flu. And then it builds up all the antibodies and all the immunity it needs to do to fight off the real flu for the season. And here's what I thought about. A lot of people in the church have been tricked by just getting a little bit of Jesus into their life. In other words, I, I go to church. I go through the motions. I do that stuff. Yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Did you know that the Bible says that the devil himself believes in Jesus? Did you know that the, the people in the Gospels who called out that Jesus was Lord the most were the demons of hell? They believed in Jesus. And James it says they believe in God and they shudder. They really believe in God. But there's a lot of people in the church And you're coming to church. And you think that's good. And you think you believe in Jesus, and you're good. But you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus. You got a little bit of the flu shot. You just got a little bit of religion. Just enough to trick your spirit into thinking that you are a child of God and you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus. This thing is not half commitment. This thing is not 90% commitment. This thing is 100% commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if you're wondering with any doubt what whatsoever as to whether or not you're saved the question is this who's in charge of your life are you or is Jesus and so here's how we're going to end this this sermon here's how we're going to end this message I want you to ask you is there any doubt in your mind that you are saved and is there any question right now that you are totally surrendered to Jesus? Do not leave this building. Do not go one more step without surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. In a minute, someone's going to come up and close this service. And after they close, they're going to have el- we're going to have elders in the front here. They're going to pray with anybody. Anybody who wants to surrender their life to Jesus. And we're also going to let them pray for any need that you have whatsoever. Physical, financial, emotional, spiritual, relational. Whatever need you have. The elders in the front will come pray for you. But I pray in closing this service. service, I pray that you know that you know that you know. You are saved and on your way in God's great game plan of life. Let's bow our head and close our eyes.